0: everybody and welcome to the State of Play podcast episode 36, episode 6 I believe of the quarantine podcast. Last weekend we had Carlo Garganies on here with Matt Santangelo, but obviously I am not Matt, I am Martino Puccio, I am back this week. Also back this week is Pet Barisha. After his long absence from the State of Play podcast, he's back and healthy. Pet, what is going on?
1: How's it going, man? Glad to be back. It's been weird not jamming with you guys every so often over the web about all things football, so glad glad to be back.
0: Yes, second strangest thing besides not having actual football going on, but we (laughs) have Matt Santangelo back with us as well. So the trio is back, and that is a theme for this episode, by the way. I'll explain later. Matt, what's going
2: on? (sighs) <sighs> same old man it's it feels good to just uh, we were talking off the top you know to have the content going out despite the stoppage i think it's uh still very exciting it 's something that motivates all of us to uh you know, get together to talk and it's it 's good to hear you guys are both doing well but um yeah i'm happy to be back for episode thirty six We have uh, plenty to talk about despite you know again nothing happening on the field so um martino let 's get right into it
0: yeah, so we have uh, a bunch of stuff that we want to get into. Obviously, there's some more current news uh, coming over from the Premier League specifically, and then we're going to touch on a potential transfer move over in France, and then we'll go to some evergreen topic that will take up the bulk of this episode. But we're going to start off with some, I guess you could call it breaking news in a way. It's a breaking rumor that's going around that Newcastle United might be sold, Um <laughs> To quite honestly, I guess you could call him God at this point, looking at his net worth of $260 billion. uh, Pet, you would know a little bit more about this than I. We know everything that's been going on with Newcastle United. They're one of the more rich traditions, Uh, not only in England, I think throughout the sport. We know how popular they are in pop culture, especially over here in the United States with the movie Goal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Obviously, that was a huge thing growing up over here. It really... um, Allowed a, a lot of people to get exposed to the Premier League and just like all the traditions over there. Um, this this would be great because this is a club that has obviously a rich tradition. Like I explained, um, the Premier League is just better when Newcastle <laughs> United is a more competitive team. Not even you know competing for trophies, just having a good Newcastle United team. You know, it's kind of a nostalgia grab because they were pretty solid. Um, not too long ago. They've had a lot of back and forth between the Premier League facing relegation. Um, a lot of drama there. But now is there potentially stability coming to the club?
1: Well I mean you mentioned the a bigger a big club. The the capacity of their stadium is about fifty two and a half thousand people. Uh, Mike Ashley has put this club up for sale since twenty seventeen and is <laughs> essentially had a few nearly run ins with with a few potential buyers, but this seems to be the one that is furthest along the lines. Um, Mike Ashley is renowned for being essentially not a very nice guy. All Newcastle fans hate him. I'm sure our friend... Um, fuck, I've got his name. What's up, What's our mate's name that comes on the pod? I don't know. You're going to have to narrow it down. There's been a few episodes. Newcastle fan, Paraguay. Roberto.
0: Roberto. <laughs> Roberto. Roberto that, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm leaving that in. I'm not cutting that out. We're keeping that in. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'll do it a We're see. restarting it. No, no. So carry on. Yes, Roberto.
1: Damn, I got podcast stage fright. Uh, So yeah, our our friend Roberto Rojas, who's uh, who's told me all about his adventures in the UK, Beans on Toast and all that stuff. Um, He would profess as much as any Newcastle fan that, Newcastle fans hate Mike Ashley. I mean, during this kind of quarantine isolation uh, COVID nineteen situation, he tried to furlough as many staff as he could across those various businesses. He tried to furlough his staff at Newcastle. Um, he's known for for doing a lot of shady things. And although uh, selling a club to a um, you know a sovereign wealth fund that is from a country that is not known for its uh, kind of human rights it is uh it says a lot about Mike Ashley that a lot of fans are just happy to get him away from their club um and essentially it's worth I think three hundred million pounds or so. The kind of new owners would be worth two hundred and fifty billion, which to put that in perspective, the owners of Manchester city are worth twenty three billion Stan Croen is worth seven billion his wife is worth nine billion so if you combine the Croenx that's like seven sixteen billion times that by fucking like twenty and you're basically mm. nearly there. Um, it, it's a, they've got a monstrous amount of money. What it actually means for Newcastle, I'm not too sure in the short term. Obviously, for them, buying during this COVID-19 thing doesn't really make a difference, because when you have that much money, then you know, who the hell cares? Uh, it, could they do a kind of Manchester City? I'm not too sure, Uh, with FFP
0: and, like, how much you could... They they couldn't just go out. We don't even know what the guidelines are for this summer because that was something we were discussing prior to the show. Like, is the market going to be open from let's say they open it in july and it goes all the way to january that was like an idea that Mm. you thought could happen like that changes completely everything right i mean it it does but i don't think that they could just spend 400 million in this next window right i think they could at least get 100 million pounds yeah right just for strictly from tv deals and then you know Mm. they could fill up that stadium that's a very passionate fan base Yeah, I think they could spend. Obviously, they'll spend more than they
1: have done. We saw Hertha Berlin, I think, get some rich owners mid-season just before the COVID crisis. Thank you for Piontek. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Piontek. they got David Selke, a few other guys. No, was it Selke? No, it was uh, Matthias Cunha from um, Leipzig. So they did a bit of spending there and it can show what the kind of new investor power. But like, you know, you have to build a club right what man city have done now where they have the best training complex in the world they are uh, up there in terms of revenue uh, in the in the world's leading clubs chelsea as well roman abramovich uh, doesn't put any more money into the club they are self run you know you can't have investor money run you forever so it's how quickly can newcastle create a business model where they they put in money uh, you know they get some roi on that from kind of like the asset mm-hmm. becoming more uh expensive so that 300 million pound outlay like how much is that going to appreciate by by the time we look at back at this in three five ten years so it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, i don't know uh obviously milan have gone through a change of ownership in the in the in the recent uh times into as well mm-hmm. like how have you guys seen that from a Serie A standpoint and do you think it would be a dr- different trajectory for the newcastle um...
2: Um, I mean, I mean, I first, first off, on the Newcastle part because I think it's worth mentioning how um, the Premier League itself feels like, or English football in general, the top leagues um, in in the whole you know structure of, of of English football. It feels as though the Premier League is the one league where you can um, anticipate, or at least somewhat, go out of your way to say, "Hey, well, you know, Newcastle with the you know the lofty ambitions, the money injection, all that stuff, are a team that could turn it around much quicker." Uh, for a club that just was was bought, right? I think you saw, you know, what happened with Wolves, right? They go from the, you know, the, the second tier of football in England to being a team that's, you know, in the top four, top five conversation. So I just want to bring that up. I feel as though when it comes to takeovers, when we talked about the spending and how ultimately how far or how much we can project how quickly they can rise back up to being, um, to to what uh, Martino said, as the team they once were, as a team to be uh, taken seriously. I think it's something that's definitely uh, much quicker, and I think ultimately Newcastle fans can at least be hopeful that their rise could come quicker than probably they expected. But speaking on what's going on in Serie A, I just think it's, um, in terms of takeovers, it's very interesting because I feel that with the exception of Milan and Inter, Uh, We really don't know what the future holds for Roma, right? Roma were obviously bought by James Palotta. Then there was a possible sale that was going to occur um, recently, but I think his name is, uh, his last name is Friedkin, if I'm correct on that, Martino. Correct, yep. Another American, another guy with a lot of money to spend. And I think there was a lot of people that want to run Palotta out of town. But, you know, (laughs) takeovers Mm -hmm. seem so very complex in general, but when you kind of throw them into the Italian teams, I feel so everything is just that much more chaotic. So many
0: less guarantees.
2: less guarantees a lot of moving parts because, you know, there's a stadium involved right now. You think with Milan, they're talking with Inter, they're talking about getting a new stadium. I and mean, all know the local government has a big say in that. Right. So I, I don't, it's really hard to say. I think right now, Inter seem very stable. I think yeah. they're, they're heading obviously in the right direction. The project is strong. Um, you know, they're trying to build again, that stadium with Milan. As for Milan, we really don't know what Elliot's ambitions are. We really don't know what their intentions are. I think it's clear that they're probably not going to get the same, um, buying or, or purchasers coming to the forefront or that we probably expected and they expected um, when they did take over from the uh, Yong Hong a couple of years ago. But I don't know. I think it's Italian takeovers just seem to be very, very difficult. And not many teams get taken over. I feel that a lot of teams are owned by Italians they are owned by um, local businessmen. You obviously know the Agnelli family with Juventus. They're a lot of, a lot of these teams are very wealthy and they tend to stay uh, within Italy uh, ownership, so I, I don't know, Martina. What do what you? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, on that? I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Right. So when you like look at a club like Milan, asking price from everything we've seen is is ridiculous. A billion dollars for them currently is just not. That's not a fair. Is evaluation. it? Is it
1: ridiculous though? I mean, I, Newcastle cur- three hundred
0: million. Yeah. Currently, yes. Only because I want to say this. Just because, what are the guarantees that you have with this club? They're financially not in great shape. I know they covered a lot of their debt losses, and that's fixed for the most part. There's not a lot of talent. There's a decent amount of foundation, right? There's like three to four players that you can say, okay, there's something there we might be able to build off that. They're still restricted with FFP. There's a lot of issues in terms of building that stadium there, right? If you're not guaranteed to build a stadium there, we know one of the main reasons why Juve is dominating the way they are is because they make so much money off of um, just owning their own stadium, ticket match uh, sales, and and all that stuff. There, owning the property, not having to pay rent. Um, then, then like the amount that that would cost, not to only like purchase the property and then build the stadium again. It, it's helpful that Inter are willing to do that with them. I think there actually is light at the end of the tunnel, considering the financial crisis that's probably going on in Italy right now. They might be able to convince the city, hey we need you guys need something that's going to help boost this economy adding a new stadium in here uh, it's more it's better for a tourist attraction both clubs are going to be making more money and a profitable milan and inter makes everything better right there there's no way you could lose um but then again like there's no it's not great tv money coming in there one of the better like if you're a buyer with multi multi billionaire and you're going in facing like hey could i buy a premier league club like newcastle united for 300 million pounds or whatever currency we want to use in this example, and then we have them for 300 million pounds. There's a better stadium um, that you can make money off of. 52,000 is, pre- is pretty damn good. It might not be 80,000 in the San Siro, but 52,000 is fantastic. Then when you look at the amount of TV money you make in the Premier League, the the popularity of the Premier League compared to Serie A right now, like Serie A is not a sexy league, especially over here in this market. We're looking at a market of over 300 million Americans. Matt can tell you this as well. Serie A is, is a very niche. It's not as popular as the Premier League. How PSG is more popular to an extent throughout this country than a lot of the top Italian teams like Inter and Milan. So when you factor in all that stuff, you kind of sit there and say to yourself, why would anyone really want to purchase Milan at this point in time? Like if Milan were to be for around 650 to 700 million euros, then then you say, yeah. But I do agree with you, Pet, to an extent. Like a billion pounds, you could argue is a fantastic investment because there's just so much to make. Because, like, think about if you're able to just make Milan a f- one of the top clubs in the world again, then the valuation of the club is going to be over three billion dollars, in my opinion.
1: And, I mean, you know, like, they have I-
0: that much potential.
1: I mean, Manchester City is nearly at three billion, so that mm-hmm. kind of lofty ambition isn't. i I wouldn't say that's a silly number right it's kind of i did just read an article actually as you guys were chatting uh (laughs) funnily enough um this valuation that newcastle are supposedly being buying bought, bought it's actually increased the value or like the apparent valuation of sheffield united so you know that kind of looking at that asset and saying okay well if that's worth 300 million like you know what's this worth you know i think uh, yeah. was it fired Mashiri, what did he buy a stake in everton for uh, I, i'm not too sure how much it was but i think everton are only worth like 450 million and uh, you you'd think they're kind of in a in a better financial status than newcastle so some of these clubs i think that you're, you're probably looking at them and saying well that doesn't that's kind of cheap but also kind of expensive compared to this club and that club. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see future future takeovers at a, a, a bit higher price point. But I know I know there's loads of stuff we wanna we want to get through. So I don't want to kind of keep our list. Yeah no of course of course we, we discuss we
0: discuss the trash club that's Milan far too <laughs> often anyways. Um, but yeah we're gonna move into some more um, transfer news right so Alex tell us this is very fresh um fresh just press. yeah right right before we started recording here Uh, Our good friend of the podcast, Zach Lowy, actually shared this article with saying that Alex Taylor should be heading to PSG. And this is a player that we discussed with Alex Goldberg when he came on here as probably the number one target, besides from Jordan Sancho, that he wanted for Chelsea. Um, Look, 20 to 25 million euros for a player that has the capability and upside that Alex Tellis has would be a fantastic purchase for PSG. And we know PSG usually don't get your bang for your buck purchases like this. They usually spend a ton of money on certain players with astronomical wages. This would be one of the more savvy, but this might be the most savvy buy they've had since potentially Ibrahimovic when they got him for 28 million euros at the time um, in 2012. So I think this personally would be a home run for them. This allows uh, another creator on the defensive side of the ball. And as you mentioned prior to the recording, pet, this is an area of need that they have to improve. And this would certainly help. It's such an area of need. I mean, oh, god, sorry,
1: I dropped my phone. <laughs> um, I, I really do think that this is an area of need for them. I mean, if you look at Thomas Munir leaving, uh Dagba not really playing as many minutes there uh, they've had a lot of Diallo at left back um Bernat's good but I don't think he's he's got that kind of top 10 fullback potential if you're looking at PSG wanting to win the Champions League you've got the two of the best five players in the world up top you've got Angel Di Maria who probably came off his best season um Ooh, who we've been who we've been praising been for about, months, yeah. Now. yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Idrissa Gay who's come in and, and it was absolutely stunning for PSG last summer. You've got Varati who probably played his best season in a, in a while last season, even though we've kind of criticised him a lot. You've got that kind of solid centre back partnership of Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. I mean, we'll debate whether or not Thiago Silva will stay uh, in a while, etc. But it's it's one of those things isn't it like you get those two fullbacks, uh, whether it's Tellez and uh you know a really good right back um then you're looking at this team being a bigger contender obviously that's with the caveat that they keep Neymar and Mbappe but why not when we've got this kind of current situation in front of us I really do think a guy like Tellez will come in and, and probably play a big part in PSG's um uh campaign next season if he does end up there you know great set piece taker he's got a really good shot on him from long range uh really uh good kind of like on the ball intricate passing moves and a great crosser so i think it'll be a great buy for them and pretty cheap i mean 25 million for a 27 year old uh considering how stubborn those portuguese clubs can be with their kind of selling fees it's uh it's a good deal if it goes through
2: 100 and i think um you know when you look at right what PSG could be facing i know they were along with manchester city they were kind of very being being closely monitored by of course uefa with for financial fair play and all that stuff so if you can essentially get a a, a fullback who can help you right now with a lot of experience again champions league experience he's been a, a mainstay in you know in in football for for years as as a as a big time player not a big time player but a, a solid player that will ultimately help further psg's uh, growth as a, as a project and of course as you guys alluded to competing for a Champions League trophy I think if you can add him into the mix a player that really checks off all the boxes uh, you know the age is there he's not past his prime he's going to cost you under what 15 to 20 million of what we are seeing fullbacks go for nowadays I mean look how much City spent on three fullbacks right Mendy uh, more than NASA you know, all these guys right all these guys and what the going rate is I mean Cancelo another one so if you can say hey we can get a guy who can help us right away improve that's not going to really you know alter the the books too much and really put us in in, in deep water I think Telus is a slam dunk acquisition I mean Alex uh, we spoke highly of him really really wanted him but I think if you're a team like PSG I think that's where you have to start going with a lot of your signings I think they've come under criticism for. Um, a lot of the young players, their youth players that kind of just kind of left last summer. I know like Napesig rated them for a couple players and they kind of just. Rabiot a, as well. Right, Rabiot, Um, You know, they had a lot of players who were uh, up and coming that just left for, for big fees to other clubs. But I think PSG's zone is right now and I think they understand that, right? I think, look, Neymar's at what 28 years old. You're in this prime years. You really don't know how, how much more years they're going to have him there right cuz obviously the barcelona return always seems to linger and the same thing with mbappe i think mbappe's you know going to stay but he's a young kid i think his future could lie at real madrid or somewhere else so i think they have this window now where we're saying hey like let's go after it for the two next two to three years if they can do that i think uh you know that's where they'll find their best uh, best success and their best chances at getting the champions league trophy because let's face it guys they've been winning the french league by march it feels like every three, four years, right? They keep winning and it's kind of them, you know, putting all their their eggs in a basket for the Champions League where they seem to underwhelm and come up short. So uh, getting back to Telesto, this is a, a really good acquisition and something that won't break the bank, will help them in the short term, no doubt. And it will ultimately uh, ensure that this project continues to progress.
0: Yeah. And, and you know what? I think they're right on the heels of, of getting over the hump too. I, I thought they were really one of the dark horses in terms of, gambling aspects that you could put some decent money on and actually have have them win because I just had a feeling that it, Neymar was finally putting it all together and he was how Ricciardi
2: was performing for them too in the Champions League. Yeah, as well.
0: I yeah Verratti as well like as Pet mentioned he was just like finally channeling in and then when you have Di Maria and Mbappe like and Kaylor Navas to just seal it like they were there they had an opportunity but we are moving on now to Arsenal. And they were playing so well right before everything started to happen. The defense was finally improving um, under Mikel Arteta. Pet, we know it's kind of looking away from this season, right? What's done is kind of done with Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And if they could salvage a European spot, that'd be great going into next season. But in terms of the transfer news and where Mikel Arteta and this club want to be looking, there's some rumors that you want to discuss of, of a certain player coming to a club?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's this rumour of of, uh, Axel De Sassi, I don't know how you pronounce it, from Reims, the uh, centre-back, he's 22 years old. Uh, It's been recorded by Le Keep uh, and it was broken, I think, on the English side by Charles Watts quite recently. I think in the last couple of days, I think it's pretty fresh and it's the first kind of Premier League rumour or solid one that I've seen apart from... Sancho and uh, Coutinho so apart from those two big ones that have been linked of course to uh, Manchester United and Chelsea respectively I think this is the first one we've definitely seen to Arsenal of course Werner to, to Liverpool as well I've, I've forgotten that one maybe Kai Havertz to United or City but that seems a bit more paper talk um He's is really good uh, young French centre-half. I mean, they seem to be cloning them at this point, uh, which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, he's pretty he's tall. Uh, he's kind of compared to Kurt Zuma a little bit, uh, maybe a bit more uh, fast than him. Uh, and it's kind of a, a modest sum that's, that's been looking at, maybe 15, 18 million pounds, uh, 20 million euros. Uh, but he does only have 12 months remaining, Uh, when it comes to June, so I don't know how that few will go, but it's interesting, Arsenal looking at centre-half, obviously currently at the club, there's going to be seven centre-backs if you look at David Luiz, Socrates uh, Mustafi, Callum Chambers, Holding, Mavropanos and then Saliba when he comes back in the summer a couple of those guys are going to have to leave, I don't really know how Arsenal are going to think about this one, obviously Callum Chambers is out for a while, so him leaving is probably not going to happen um Rob Holding could be one that leaves considering Mikel Arteta doesn't fancy him and then probably one of the old guard uh in Socrates and I think uh if they can find a buyer from Mustafi that would be brilliant for probably all parties involved but Disaster seems like a, a, a player with good potential I've watched him a couple of times uh, I think United are interested Monaco uh Dortmund and a few other clubs so clearly on the radar of a lot of clubs so definitely one player to keep an eye on but uh, it's, it's an area that obviously Arsenal need to strengthen in, but probably loads of clubs need to strengthen and I mean if you look at Manchester United they've got Lindelof right next to Harry Maguire. Manchester City, they've Mm -hmm. obviously got Laporte, but next to him, they haven't really found the right partner. I mean, you've got John Stones, you've still got um, Otamendi playing there. Uh, And then, you know, Liverpool are probably the only club in the Premier League that are well-suited with center I mean, even look at Chelsea, Rudiger, uh, Zuma, Christensen. uh, We don't really know who are the starting pair there. So it's going to be interesting in this... Tamori as well. We don't really know who the starting two are there or the starting three. Frank Lampard hasn't settled them. So I think centre-half is, is an area that a lot of clubs are going to look at, but obviously Arsenal are probably three years, four years too late. For this. <clears throat> and I'll just say one more thing before we jump in. Um, I think Ipamakano is the one that Arsenal yeah. really wanted I in, in January. About him, yeah. <laughs> I, I do wonder if his rise to prominence in those six months since uh, the summer and then since January are actually made it. So if is looking at one rung above, he's looking at the, the cities there, percent. Oh, uh, so. rather than the arsenal. So if they can give it to open to come, that would be an amazing signing. And I think him and Saliba would be with, uh, um, David Louise, three center backs that you can really look at and rely on. And then Callum Chambers coming back a little later on, uh, as well, that would be four really good center backs. Um, and then obviously, uh, whether or not this disarray, rumors are kind of back up to it, and kind of we'll, we'll wait and see. I suppose.
0: Yeah. Um. And what about dumping one of the high wage players? Right. I, they're going to have some difficulty. But a guy like, do they keep Özil for another season? Like, what's the? What do you think the situation would be there? Real quick.
1: <laughs> I mean, with Özil, how do you how do you get rid of three hundred fifty k wages? Who's going to take that on mm. in this current climate? So you're never going to be able to shift him. I'm afraid that Arsenal probably stuck with him for the next season but after that and i think after Mkhitaryan's contract goes or whether or not we can sell him to roma permanently that is going to be 500,000 yeah. or half a million a year opened up i mean we're we're under the presumption again that one of Bamiang and Lacazette or potentially both of them go so that's a, a lot of wages freed up as well yeah. and you presume that the replacements that come in would probably not be on 180 and 220 thousand pounds a week respectively so um I guess one of the high wage earners that we want to get off or as awesome want to get off is uh Mkhitaryan whether or not Roma will uh pay his massive yeah wage, that's sure. up in the
0: air with the ownership issues yeah so.
1: Yeah. So, or, or whether I, someone else is interested in him, because he, he did play quite well at Roma, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he had some spells, I think, uh, to your point though, right? Considering the climate, uh, are, with a new possible uh, takeover, maybe, and obviously, Paulo Fonseca, his job secure. I don't think he's he's going to be sacked. He's done a really good job with them considering the injuries. But um, when you look at it, are they going to be in the position to maybe, you will know, he will take on that that option that they have for him. So that's also hard to say, right? You have to consider both. ends, unless it's a slam dunk for Roma, he's had his spells of games where he's looked pretty good and looked very influential. But um, it's going to be hard to say, it, right? You're obviously hoping, right, that they they, they, they do take him. And but Roma's the same thing; they're trying to work out a deal for Chris Smolik. Yeah. And Manchester United, because Smalling's been so effective for Roma, are trying to play a little hardball here. So mm. that's going to be an interesting thing to see, to see the fallout. Or the implications, or the kind of the, the response that the market has to everything that's occurring in this whole COVID situation. But are we already quick, are we really we, seeing
1: we, it? So that Matt, I mean, TELES looks well, we pretty are, modest at twenty million. In, I mean, the fees for we're hearing Sancho could be one hundred twenty. I mean, if you consider Ismael Dembélé went to Barcelona for like one hundred like sixty. Yeah, I saw yeah,
0: Pomenko I was sixty million, and he was he
1: was talked about for coming for like eighty million last summer. Yeah. So you know, maybe maybe we're think- already seeing it.
2: Two with with Arsenal's situation because we talked about um, you know we talked about obviously the the, the, the defense we talked about uh, shifting contracts we talked about the attack with uh, Aubameyang who's been a hot topic and Lacazette right but I think this is something where if you're an Arsenal fan and you essentially get rid of at least one of them right because i think it would be kind of difficult to say hey we're going to dump two of our start starting attackers i think if you could find a way to keep one of them and then that will pave the way for maybe uh, martinelli to have a little bit more of an increased role because i think arsenal fans really want to see what a player like he can do with a bigger workload not necessarily saying hey he's going to be like our star guy or our main attacking threat but i think if you're an arsenal fan given what we've seen from Martinelli, I think that's something that does intrigue them. I think they can stomach getting rid of a Lacazette or Yang if that means, hey, we're going to give Martinelli that opportunity in many ways, try and make him our version of a Rashford, right? Someone we're going to say, hey, we're going to entrust a lot more responsibility for him. We're going to give him those minutes, those opportunities to show that he's um, uh, every player, uh, every bit the top player we think he can be. Um, What do you think about Martinelli in general if if we're on the conversation of, possibly that that forward line being shaken up.
0: Uh
1: I mean we've got Martinelli there's uh Saka as well which is uh, another amazing prospect for Arsenal. They're really lucky to have those two 18 year olds. Um if Saka can play further forward as well there's also reese Nelson around. Um for the record I think one of those uh one of those strikers will stay? Um Martinelli is probably going to get more and more minutes just considering how bloody good he is. I mean 10 goals in his his maiden season uh, at Arsenal in all competitions is really, really amazing. I mean, if you also consider one of those goals was at uh, Stamford Bridge, for example. Uh, Two of those goals were at Anfield. I mean, it's a really good hole for him. Uh, The other thing I want to say about him as well, what he's done is crazy. I mean, he's come from fourth division Brazil to the Premier League. And played at a really, really high level for his first season, so I think expectations for him are really high because of how well he's done. I hope he can take it into next season. Um, if one of those two strikers does go, Arsenal will definitely have to replace them. But I don't know if it will be a like-for-like swap. It might be um, a winger uh, as opposed to um, as opposed to a forward because you could have Martinelli and another striker, either Aubameyang or Lacazette playing the number nine role. Uh, Nicola Pepe, Reece Nelson, Saka. Why? There's a lot of options there for Arsenal. Um, so. I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting uh, Arsenal summer to, to come. Um, let's see what happens and I suppose it's going to be either really, really good or really bad. I mean, the last <laughs> thing I want to mention is um, uh, obviously with Mkhitaryan, it's Mina Rola, right? So, If he wants something done, usually it gets done. So let's see whether or not he goes out on another loan and we get a a lot of the the wages covered or there's a big, not a big fee, but like a modest fee for Mkhitaryan and he accepts a pay cut. But um, I think some of those kind of chess pieces will start moving as soon as, um, you know, a couple of those deals start flowing through. Then Arsenal can look at, um, uh, then uh, Arsenal can look at actually, you know, making some moves. But
0: we've got a little uh, debate coming up, don't we, uh, Martino? Yeah, so we wanted to keep some evergreen content as well so you guys can go back and listen to this whenever, you know, this debate would come up. I think this is generally one of the ones that gets talked about the most unofficially, in my opinion. So we're gonna start it by prefacing by saying this is clearly opinionated. I don't think there's any truthfully wrong answers unless it's just a absolute dumb player you put into this conversation. That would make no sense. But we are going to do who is the third best player within the Messi Cristiano era? Obviously behind those two because those two right there are the greatest players that we've seen um, that we remember in our lives. We're obviously like in our mid to late 20s, um, and we're just gonna preface it, uh, go by from 2008 when they first started winning every single Ballon d'Or up until you know like the Luka Modric year, but still they're they're still undeniably the two best players. That, that, that was just like a, of course, yeah, sympathy course.
1: one, wasn't it as well? Uh,
0: you know, and, and, yeah. I mean, there's always been debate back and forth on who deserved a certain bond or what year as well. I know uh, a lot of people think other players deserved it in certain years, like you know the Wishley Schneider. Um, you know, there's been Suarez of mm-hmm. uh, the worlds and, and other players that they wanted to give out the award to. I know Van Dyke was another one that came up recently, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but. Clearly, those are the two best players, and we're just going to get into it. So we'll let Matt go first on what player he thinks is the third best player of this generation. Take it away.
2: All right. So yeah, this is this is a very difficult one because you know we're talking to two thousand eight, and you're talking us here in twenty twenty. So we're talking about twelve years now. There's a lot of players towards you know two thousand eight that were in their prime, and maybe they're careers ended maybe like 2012 2013 um I know like we talked about off the top in our in our whatsapp group guys like Samuel Eto'o Thierry Henry and you know they still had a lot of success you know at the tail end of the the 2000s and early 10s but we're talking a longevity here you're talking about 12 years where you feel like they would have to cover those sorts of years right we're not talking about that one individual year we're not talking about that one individual season or whatever it's hey who's been the best Since then, and I think for me that the the first name that came to mind, um, and there were a lot that came to mind. I considered a lot. I'm sure you guys did as well. Um, was Ibrahimovic, and the reason why I say this is because even before you know his success and his superstardom and his world class um, status predates 2008. Right, he was again uh, at Juve um, in 2002, 2003. That era with the whole Catzopoli, and then he went to Inter. He won there. He obviously won at Milan in the early tens, but you know, he, and you know he's still winning. He's still a player that, you know, up until nearly the past couple of years where he was at LA Galaxy and obviously he's at Milan, he was winning the league every year and putting up ridiculous numbers at PSG. And that's, and and Manchester United, obviously the year where they won the, the Europa League, he was injured, but nevertheless, he was part of that team. So I think for me, given the numbers he's put up, given the success he's had, given the fact that he's been, for the most part, able to stay healthy throughout, minus the injury. I mean, you're looking at a player who, Let's call it since 2000, 2003 What and now you're looking at about 17 years of like top success, top years of of goal scoring, winning, and doing it everywhere and doing different leagues and, and you know, defying odds for a player his size, right? I think you know it's difficult to leave out a guy like Iniesta in this conversation, right? We all mm. know his effect on Barcelona. We all look at Messi. We all look at you know Ronaldo. So there's gonna be people that say, hey, what about what about Modric? What about Ozil? What about some of these players? Ramos, right? So there's a ton of names. And I think Martino put it best. It's it's subjective. There's probably no right or wrong answer here. It's just a matter of opinion, how you feel the player has impacted um, the game, his on-the-field success, and maybe his contributions to um, a winning legacy, a winning era at a certain club. But for me, I think it's got to be Imer Vendorovic. He's got the goals. He's got the star power. He's um, got the longevity. Um, I know people are going to use the fact that he doesn't have the Champions League Trophy in his in his on his mantle to, to add to his legacy, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at his legacy once he does hang up his boots, which we don't really don't know when it's going to be because he's still uh, still effective, I think you'll look at a guy who's well, above 500 goals. He's uh, you know the big man for Sweden. He's done it everywhere. He's not a player that you can use that against him. I know that some. An argument that many people use against Messi is that, well, he only did it in, in in Spain, right? Whereas Ronaldo, a guy like him, he's done it in England, he's done it in Italy, he's done it in Spain. So I think for me, we're talking that third slot. I feel very comfortable submitting Ibrahimović as my choice just because I think longevity matters in this sport. Um, but I know some people are going to have different criteria, right? Or maybe you're going to use, you know, a four or five year gap versus Oh, 08 to 2020, where you're having 12 years. So you know, I want I want to hear your thoughts, guys. Who who you guys chose for this?
1: Uh, I, I, it's Davidovich is a great shout, shout. I mean, he's. I think I'm right in saying that since Ronaldo and Messi started their careers, he's the one behind them in goals. Am I right in saying that?
2: It sounds about right because I, I think I don't Suarez think, is I don't like right near them. I don't know if it's Suarez. Suarez, maybe. I don't think Suarez has as many goals. as... I don't think as, he does. And same thing like, Lewandowski. Like, if you're looking for, like, the big, potent goal scorers kind of since then, like, maybe the mid-2010s, I think you, you probably would initially go right towards Suarez or Lewandowski. But Lewandowski even started, I think, like, really stored pounding in goals for like Borussia Dortmund, like, the early 2010s. Yeah, like 2012, so, kind of. Yeah. And then Suarez, even when he went to, when he was at Ajax, he was doing pretty well. But then when he really, you know, started to, to become a, a world-class striker, you know, with that big year at Liverpool with him and Daniel Sturridge.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good shout. It's a a really good shout, and I think it's kind of difficult to argue with Ibrahimovic if we look at individual uh, kind of ability and him as a player. For me, I've got my top three down as Iniesta, Luis Suarez, and then Sergio Ramos. Um, Those are my top three, I think. Uh, One of the reasons, again, longevity, I mean, if you're looking at Iniesta, he was an integral part of... uh, spain's dominance for three tournaments in a row scored a world cup winning goal one champions leagues one's leagues um and he was just magic you know i i can't really look past him and then when we're looking at that kind of messy ronaldo back and forth with the ballon d'or the one that i think one of those ones Iniesta could have been in the reckoning for as well at some point so i think for me uh you know from kind of a winning standpoint from how well he played for how long he's he's definitely up there for me. Uh also uh you know I put Luis Suarez second one of the reasons I put Suarez second is cuz being able to do it in two different leagues and the Champions League and also have very good international kind of tournaments you know taking uh Uruguay to the semi-finals of the World Cup even though you know the, the infamous handball um he's he's just been fantastic and he's been fantastic for so long. I mean that Individual season by Luis Suarez in the Premier League. I think it's probably top five of all time in the Premier League. I think if we look they at- win the
0: title, if he's not an idiot and bites Ivanovic. Uh yeah yeah. The probably, suspension but, was very long. I think it was like at six least games, games. The right. first
1: six games of the games. season, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, he missed those g- games. This and he scored like know, was it? Thirty-seven goals, something like that. It was crazy. I think. I also think the,
2: it's the manner in which he scored them. Like, I mean, oh, you look at crazy. like the, the footage from that year. The Norwich the, the midway, head- goals. goals from the midway line. Like he was like <sighs> it, it was FIFA goals, pretty much. It was crazy. Fifty percent of the time. It's easy to say like okay, well the guys got. Fifty goals, but you know you have to kind of dig deeper into what those goals were. Were they penalties? Because everyone talks about that. When you know with Ronaldo and Messi and this player and that player, Immobile this season has like I think eight or nine, and mm. he's got twenty-seven, twenty-eight goals. But like Suarez, I feel as though wasn't I don't even know if Suarez any, took penalties. He wasn't even scoring any cheapies. I think Gerard was still yeah. Gerard was on pens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you look at his goals that year, and you're like. He wasn't like none of them were cheapies, none of them felt like tappins. I mean, I don't off the top of my head know you know the entire catalogue of his goals there, but you seem as though like he took that league by storm, like once he made that move. Like Andy Carroll, like because Suarez was the striker he became at Liverpool, it made stomaching the fee paid for Andy Carroll and the disappointment with that move much more tolerable and more much more acceptable.
0: 31 goals and 17 assists in 33 games. That's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean
1: I can only rank, you know, Thierry's 30 goals, 20 assists season, um Ronaldo's 30 was it 38 goals, uh Salah uh, 2 seasons ago And, yeah, I think maybe Yaya Torre as well when he scored 20 goals from midfield. I can't think of that many other seasons that kind of rank.
0: Prime Torre, too, is a decent shout to get some recognition. I think he deserves some recognition within that era itself, I think. Yeah, 100%. He was at the forefront of that Man City team along with Aguero and, like, David Silva. I think those three. And a company whenever he was on the field. Um, Yeah, no, no, it was insane. I think, to an extent, he's fell off a tad in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. and ever since Neymar left there was definitely there's certainly yeah. been a dip and he's only 33 and he's dealing with a lot of injury issues now he wasn't going to complete the season he was done already prior to the whole COVID-19 situation um he was one of the main reasons why they didn't advance past Liverpool as well I, I, like that's kind of hard to look past in my opinion but is how about his 15-16 season um was just absolutely Mm. insane 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 40 goals in 18 assists in 35 games crazy and that's along with messi and neymar getting Mm. an astronomical amount of goals that was still to this day in my opinion the best attacking trio i've seen in my life Mm. Mm. i don't think i've seen anything like that since. crazy um so i mean i i think he he has to be also like in that conversation of the three Mm. players that you have that you would have um in that discussion for third best player. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the, in the general, cause it's just the same thing with the world cups. You're right. I mean, him and Cavani were a hell of a duo. I still haven't forgiven him for the, for the bite on Chiellini. It's kind of <laughs> like weird. Cause it's like, I don't care that Chiellini got bit. Cause I don't like the guy, but it just like, it completely changed the complex of the game. Cause then mm. they score from the header. Godin scores like right, right from there afterwards. And then Italy gets knocked out. Mm. In the world Cup. Um, but, I mean, I think you're right. He was doing it at the two best leagues mm. in the world. Go from in the Champions
1: from... League, right? I mean, if you remember, oh, yes. scored in the final. He. Oh, of course. The, the PSG was at the, the quarterfinals or the semifinals where he did the nutmeg on David Luiz and then stuck it in the top <laughs> corner. It was, you know, that season, he was just a joke. So yes. I, I think for me, if you had to mm-hmm. put a gun to my head, it, it'd be a toss up between him and Iniesta as the third best. But um, I think maybe Iniesta because the international uh, success maybe just edged it. But as an individual player, I think mm-hmm. Suarez is probably better. My you know, third I- one, Sergio Ramos you know I don't, I don't think there's much explanation needed he's pivotal in those kind of four Champions League wins um, the, the header to equalise against South Africa Madrid in the Champions League final that was actually interestingly my first ever bet right <laughs> at half time, 1-0 yeah. down Sergio yeah. Ramos scored the next goal 20-1 I'll remember that oh till the day God. I died Brilliant. Wow. Um, you know, I also I'm think
2: off. it's uh, I'm sorry, I think it's also <laughs> and they lose that if Diego Costa doesn't get I, I also yeah. think it's something to consider too, is that right, because we're talking about international tournaments and we're talking about Champions League and all that stuff. And I think it's it's difficult to say, right, because there's certain players that maybe aren't don't get afforded the opportunity to play at the World Cup. Right. So it's for example, like let's say if you're gonna mm. say, Hey, well you know what? I'm gonna go with this player over an Ibrahimovic, over an Iniesta, over a Ramos for the simple fact that he did it in, in on a major tournament in addition to his, his at the club level but mm-hmm. how much it's at you have to ask yourself this question when when you know trying to submit your answer to this is how much do you weigh a five six game span right i think it's that's also what kind of comes into play because if you're talking about someone like in the premier league for instance or someone playing playing for a team like liverpool or manchester united where you got all these competitions you got the cup play you got champions league you got you know the premier league and they're playing more games than anyone else or top, across the top five leagues, to put up the numbers like a Suarez did for like a full body of the season, and then to maybe use something like that against a player where say, hey, but he didn't show up at the Euro or show up at the cha- in, in in the World Cup the way many people expected him to do like that's kind of the argument that a lot of people use against it's Mladowski. stupid
0: it's stupid right? because they, they say well he
2: didn't show up for poland i'm like yeah but poland got bounced in the first, ra- first round can i can i can i
1: offer can i offer like a other side of the coin you do on the other hand have uh you know the likes of gareth bale who got a really crappy wales team into oh the semi-final God, of, right. a, of a euros that's so huge.
2: it's how massive. much he's valued how much he's yeah. worth as a player
1: yeah yeah. So, I mean, if you can do it in a small team, like, uh, I mean, Uruguay isn't a small international team, but they're not they're, a, a juggernaut.
2: They're,
0: yeah. they're not right. a
1: juggernaut. Wales are very small in terms of as a nation and a footballing nation. I, but, I think
0: Uruguay is pretty small as a nation. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah no, they, they are, are as a nation. Many. But in terms of actual football, you know, you've got... Oh, it's uh, insane. Per capita, the amount of footballers there. they put out, it's three, it's three and a half million people live in Uruguay. That's insane. Yeah. Just, I mean, same thing with Iceland too, by the way. They have yeah. like under a million people. and what they're, I think one of the main things that you have to have in this argument is if you're starting a team today and you didn't have the chance to take Messi or Cristiano, is who do you start your team with? Mm. And, and, and generally, that's, that's where you go with. And, and Suarez, like even you look at his worst season, would be this year, 17 games. This is the, just in the La Liga alone. It's 11 goals and 7 assists in 17 yeah. games. Like that's, that's, that's not bad at all. There's a lot of teams that would just take a player like that. Um, And again, with the international argument really quick, sorry, before I let you make your point, it's stupid to rip a Suarez or an Ibrahimovic for international tournaments when constantly there's fans, millions of them defending Messi and Cristiano's performances (laughs) on the international stage every four years, every two years, whereas the Euros or, um, Copa America uh, Copa America, yes, thank you um, that they're constantly defending these guys, and to an extent, I do think it's warranted, but you can't rip one player for not having a certain amount of international success, but defend other players for it when they have the same issues altogether
1: yeah I, I, I do agree to that. Um... It, it it is one of those things. I think, obviously, Ronaldo kind of got the monkey off his back with uh, winning the Euros. Um, uh-huh. yeah, Mikasa,
2: uh-huh. the yeah, Nations
0: league. Uh, yeah, Nation league smaller, well. but it, no, it still please. means something. Nation league is such bullshit. Oh come on, man. That's such <laughs> yeah. a dude. It's not even played in a c- condensed amount of time. They spread it out over the course. Like the funniest the first-
2: thing. The funny thing about the Ronaldo case was like you, you know you said about him getting the monkey off his back for two to six euro to sixteen euro. It's like people are going to say like yeah but like he didn't play in the final I'm like yeah but he had a, like, he had a huge role in the yeah game. it's not his fault like, you know what i'm saying engines. like <laughs> so like you know what i'm saying but like that's the funny thing is that like i love how it's we, we always kind of you know i think we had our debate about messi ronaldo on on like maybe that mid-20s podcast when we recorded this but I, I i like how we're kind of taking them out of the equation because they're the exceptions right they're the aliens mm-hmm. they're the complete different they, they shouldn't be kind of they're exception to the rule, right? So I yeah. think you know they're always going to be like looked at. It's going to be goals, assists. It's going to be like what did he do in the knockout games. Yeah. What he you know did this, what that. that. But like yeah. you know, I just think the conversation is very very fascinating to have. And I think Martino, like, who would you choose? I don't think you really kind of gave us your. Can, oh, I, can oh. I just give? <laughs> can, I just give <laughs> more, can I just give one more? Can I
1: just give one more shout? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that um, just just one thing: Neymar should be up there, yeah, uh, of course. But before course. I do that, Sergio Ramos is the tenth top scorer for um for spain ever that's crazy and he's the top (laughs) he's the top appearance maker ever right and all of them are
2: are big goals like big goals oh
1: yeah and and when he retires he's on 21 goals number six is morientes on 27 there is a chance that sergio ramos could retire as a four times is a four or five times champions league winner league winner world cup euros times two and the sixth top scorer of Spain ever and also the record record uh, appearance pick. he's got 170 caps mm-hmm. you know i'm writing off crazy numbers here he he's definitely up there um obviously neymar i think as well third top scorer for brazil ever uh, top scoring brazilian in champions league history uh, he's definitely going to be up there he's one of brazil's best players of all time for me so uh, yeah those are, those are my I guess three or four that I put behind those
0: those two. No, that's all fair. I mean, it's a it's a twelve year gap like we were talking about. Yeah. it's it's definitely. I think I think Cruz as well in mm. Pirlo to an extent with midfielders. If you want to throw out two other midfielders, I think I think Cruz is just probably the most underrated midfielder mm. I've probably ever seen. It's cl- it's close. It's amazing. I like the transfer fee he went for to Real Madrid was absolute robbery. Um The the amount that he steps up all the time. I know that that midfield alone at Real Madrid is insane. Um, World Cup winner as well. I think they got a good shot at winning a Euro um, when that's played next year. Um, But for me, I have Ibrahimovic. I think a lot of the time it's held against him that it didn't work out at Barcelona and he's deemed the issue for it when that's just not the case. Because a lot of times there's great players who don't work out at certain clubs and, and go on to do extraordinary things at other clubs. Like and Thierry Henry is one of the best examples that you could think of didn't work out at Juventus. And then he goes over to the premier league and is the best player that's ever graced that league. And it's not particularly close. And I think it's unfair to, to put it against him and everything he's done at PSG and at those poor Milan teams is insane. He was carrying teams that had no business winning any trophies. If you look at them on paper, right? Like, look what he had Antonio Nocerino scoring like eight goals in a season, getting national team burn for for a team that went to the Euro finals in 2012. And, and look, look what happens to these club afterwards. Like they're in flux mm-hmm. for a while. They're not doing well. He he was the best player on those Inter teams when they were winning those league titles. He what he carried Milan um, to just get the second place. When he was scoring 28 goals, and, and he's scoring at astronomical rates when he doesn't have a lot of service to begin with in the most defensive league in the world. He was um, also
1: he was also competing uh, for the Golden Boot against mm-hmm. Messi, and Ronaldo when he went over to PSG. Yeah. That's, so another thing to, to remember about Ibrahimovic.
0: Of course, and those yeah. were in those early PSG teams did not have the same amount of talent no. that they have now. It's not even it's not he even was, close.
2: He was one of the first ma- major buys behind Pastore. I think was the big like splash they bought. Well, it was from T- T- Tiago Silva and, too, him, Tiago, right? so, and then it was Tiago Silva and Ibrahimovic the same summer. But I, I think you know just Want to add this? I'm sure you have a lot more to say. But mm-hmm. I think that's also very important too. Is that we we talk about like individual players, and then there's nothing against you know a player who's scores goals and he can do a lot by himself right we know Messi tends to be able to do that same thing with Ronaldo but there's something to be said about like a guy like Ibrahimovic going to pretty much all the major leagues minus the Bundesliga and being able to not only produce for himself but to really elevate those around him from like an attacking position and a striker position like he's what he can do in addition to scoring is unheard of and really is, is a rarity in, in the game that we've seen so far, right? By his frame, being able to do some of the, score some of the goals like we saw with him at, at, at a Galaxy, for instance, and of course at Milan. But, you know, make players like Boateng, give careers to guys like Noturino, Um you will give second, second Abate, extensions to careers. Career. Right, mm-hmm. Casano, for instance, or even Robinho Pato. Like, he elevated like an entire team to a title. Like, obviously, we know there's a lot of players that contributed towards that a lot of veterans, Nesta, you know, Zambrota, you know, so on and so forth. But he came into a, he comes into a lot of these teams and he's only, not only producing at a high level, but getting other guys to tag along to produce at higher levels than what we thought they can do. So I think that's also very important. And he's done it again, longevity. He hasn't done it for just one or two years in one league or, you know, for six, seven years in one league. Like he's he's a globetrotter and he succeeded everywhere for a, a, a long amount of time.
0: And this is coming off a torn ACL at his age after a long career in his mid-30s. Players like that don't do that. And then even the impact he had in the short term back at Milan this season, they were going undefeated for a stretch, and, and he was carrying them in games. And that's more of a testament to how much they suck, but still being able to do that <laughs> in one of the five best leagues in the world is still very impressive at his age. And, and you know what? And his mentality, too. We always talk about how great Cristiano's work ethic is and his mentality. His is right up there with some of the best ever and just having the ability to just rally guys together. Um, He's a brand and household name, and I'm not going to hold it against him if he's not able to win a Champions League. Diego Maradona and and Ronaldo Nazario from Brazil are two two of the ten best players of all time and they didn't win the Champions League. I'm not holding it against them Mm. that they didn't win it. And he's not even on teams at the back end of this discussion, right? There was there was teams you could say Inter and, and Barcelona that you could have said those were the times that he had the opportunity to win the Champions League. Where when else did he have it in the in this decade? He didn't have it at Milan. He didn't have it at PSG. He didn't have it at Manchester United. I mean, we're not talking about the MLS, because forget that. Um <laughs> seriously, like it's when when you could only rip a player for not winning something when they should have won something. Not that they didn't win something when they didn't really have the ability to do so. And I'm not going to hold it against him. Suarez is another great shout. Neymar at Barcelona, unfortunately, wasn't healthy enough at PSG yet to do that. I think he's in that conversation. Ramos, to an extent, yes. Um, it's just kind of hard to compare with defenders and, mm. and forwards, uh, the impact that they have. But for me, it's that, and I don't think again there was no wrong answers. I thought every answer that you threw out there, Pet, was great. Same thing with Matt and the explanation that he used. Anything else we want to get to before we hit on that?
1: Like, can I just say one more? I know I mentioned them, Gareth Bale, but like I really think that <laughs> injuries apart, if you look at like his kind of you know Champions League ability at Tottenham and then at Madrid. And also his uh, ability in the Premier League and La Liga, oh, yeah. and also you know Copa del Rey finals. He's going to go down as one of the most clutch players ever. And He's... then the the Euro run with Wales was just ridiculous, man. Have you ever just, seen? Was
0: he, was he the last player in the Premier League to win back to back Player of the Year? Right? I don't think there's uh, been one
1: since. I, yeah, I think he might be right. Did he win the back-to-back or was it... He did win back-to-back. Was it young
0: player and then player of the year? I don't remember. I I want to say it was player of the year because he was just... It was that traditional outside-the-box left-footed curler (laughs) into the top left corner. You know what I'm talking about? He just like... Had that pace and, and peace of mind to just cut in front of the defense, get that shot off. Oh, Inter,
2: Inter fans know that one, man.
0: Oh, good, yeah, good. <laughs> that hope was they, one of like that's one it. of like the
2: classic like. And then and we talked about it, right? We talked about individual performances. Like I think you could have the body of work, and you but you, you have to start talking about like those defining, like those career defining performances. Like you can look at Ibrahimovic, Ronaldo, Messi, like all the players have them. Like Iniesta, you know, you look back at his catalog of performances, and you could point to like a, one or two games where like that's like, that's peak Like that's as good as we ever going to be able to see from a player in the midfield position. But, you know, guy like Bale, for example, I think which hurts him a little bit, obviously is the whole kind of situation at Real Madrid. But you look at the seasons that he's had at Real Madrid, for any other player, they're phenomenal. But when you go to Real Madrid, again, the expectations are sometimes very difficult to reach. Like he's had seasons where you're like, oh, Bale's had an off season or he hasn't been the same player. He hasn't lived up to the height, yada, yada, yada. And then you look at the stat line at the end of the season and you look at like Madrid hoisting up another Champions League trophy and you're looking at Bale with like 14 goals, like 12 assists. Mm. You know, like that's a, that's a fantastic season, right? You know mm. what I'm saying? So like that's the thing that that's, that, that works against Bale. But it, Bale's, Bale's a great shot. I think you ultimately have to try and choose how many years you're going to really hone in on, right? Because if we're talking about a player for like a couple seasons – over a span of tw- like 12 from 2008 to 2020
0: mm-hmm. they
2: may not get as much credit but you know Aiesa, i think from like you know,
1: 2011 to 2018
2: right. that's I that's think fine that's like, it doesn't period, have to be a full right? 12 years but if you have like know. a solid like seven eight nine years or six six to eight years where
0: ronaldinho like, had had a peak of less than five years you right can argue, yeah and Three he is, is considered at his peak one of the f- 10 greatest players yep. of all time so you don't okay. have to have the longevity. I think the longevity is a plus, but I don't think you can consider it as a minor. Also, like the impact that a player has, not playing as often as he does, coming into a Champions League final, like, man, people don't realize how difficult that is. You know, it takes a while for people to just get in a groove of things and it takes a couple of matches to 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 get your mind right and get into a rhythm. This man was coming off a bench scoring some of the greatest goals you've ever seen in the biggest spots that you could play it like that has to be taken to you, you know what i mean like and that's that's why i understand where you're coming from with that and that has to that has to be considered because nobody does that
1: mm-hmm. ever
0: they, you can't name another player that's done that absolutely not
1: i think that wraps it up with that adamant statement yeah <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um yeah. so many great players and this is why the sport's so amazing too I, I don't think you can point to another sport where there's just so many elite players from so many different countries playing at a high level like this and that's what makes this podcast great that's what makes sharing with you guys great all the time we'll plug your stuff pet we'll let you plug first because you haven't been here in a while let everyone know what you've been up to uh
1: not much man uh just still still grinding away still working uh obviously still doing the football index podcast the show must go on as always, with with all our content and everyone's content, uh, was out sick for a little bit, so that's why I couldn't contribute to the state of play. But obviously, back in action now, you can find me at Pet Berisha on Twitter at P E T B E R I S H A, and uh, we might have some video content coming up at some point in the mm-hmm. coming months. So keep your eyes out. Matt, uh,
2: Twitter at Matt <laughs> underscore Santangelo. I'm actually contemplating maybe creating like a football, like strictly football themed, like ig account with like public photos public discussion mm. um because i think uh, instagram is a really awesome great platform to get other perspectives i well, think we've got, got the yeah. state
1: of play uh right you know, which handle, i think we're, so. we're gonna
2: we're gonna try and maybe get that launched for you guys so you guys can kind of join in there i know there's a lot of people that like to see like uh you know different images your know, famous moments get into discussions and debates like this which i know are often held on instagram but yeah you guys can find me on twitter like i said at Matt underscore Santangelo. I did something in collaboration with AS Roma this past week. So go check that out. Um, Some scattered football stuff coming your way with their magazine. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Got my medium account, you know, up and running. So there's Mm. some content I'm trying to push out every week, but yeah, Twitter is where I tend to notify everyone. That's where you guys can find most of my work.
1: Matt, when are you starting to uh, stream your call of duty games on Twitch? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Ooh, i don't know man and I, I only have to put the good ones on there She <laughs> got to <a> stay to
0: play twitch <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trios and honestly, I con- I was, warzone i was, I trios was contemplating warzone, getting yeah. like, like the game. whole
2: setup to do like uh pes games too like twitch like to stream those i think that'd be kind of fun because i have like a <laughs> become a legend mode which is if you're not familiar with that if you're like a, pro, a fifa guy it's pretty much the be you a know, big uh become a pro or pro mode they have um but yeah that's uh that's a that's a good shot. If I get some Call of Duty uh, dubs <laughs> with the pet, maybe we can kind of show those. I
1: just realized, yeah, we could do trades. and. Uh, because a lot
2: of footballers it's... do play them. I know Lucas Podeta yeah. like showed up video on his like, mm-hmm. Instagram and stuff. I didn't know there's the crossover between video games and, and football. So. Oh,
0: well, Lukaku get as get well, we'll on, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so you could just follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter. Um, not as much football talk, obviously, once again, as these two. Um, it's just all sports and a lot, of, a lot of different TV shows that I've been binging. I finished 30 Rock. I'm on the way to Brooklyn 99 now, which I actually enjoy.
1: Oh, it's really um, good. So yeah, yeah, it
0: is. It new, me new season coming
1: soon start. as well. I've been watching Succession oh i
0: that's next after this for me
1: awesome it's so fucking good definitely
0: watch that i heard hbo is great they always knock it out of the park endings yeah you know they, they could work on them a little bit but you could follow us on there please rate subscribe give us five stars on all the platforms uh thanks to big head media network for putting our podcast on there and allowing everyone else to listen in otherwise listen to some joaquin and we'll talk to you next time